Welcome to another episode of And Then It Hit Me. I'm your co-host, Lindsay. And I'm your co-host, Frances Rose. Today, we get the pleasure of hearing Frances's personal uh, story. Yeah. Since we heard mine last week, it's your turn. Awesome. All right, so I'm ready to go here. So, can you please share your story with us? Sure. So, whew, this is going to (laughs) go way back. Um, So, I was in a motorcycle accident three years ago. Okay. I was riding my motorcycle home from work. It was my method of commuting daily, and I lived and worked downtown Toronto. And on my way home, on the lakeshore, there was a car parallel to me. Okay. And he made a left turn at the intersection from the furthest right lane and hit me. So I saw that he looked indecisive with what he was going to do before he actually hit me. So I did my best in terms of maneuvering in a way that would keep me alive. Yeah. (laughs) So, of course, I panicked, um, and I thought, you know what? I've heard of these situations before. The best thing to do might be to just jump off the bike, let the bike go, and I land on the ground. Yeah. But there were cars. I checked my blind spots and um, my mirrors, my side mirrors, and there were so many cars behind me. So if I had jumped out of the motorcycle, then people would have run over me yeah and then I tried to look to my left I know this sounds like a lot to process but I had to process all this in a matter of five seconds wow I looked to my left and there were pedestrians crossing the street so had that car not hit me he would have hit pedestrians on the street oh man crossing and then I looked to my right and there were a lot of cars too so I couldn't swerve to the right either So I just had no options. I felt like I had no way out. All I could do at that point was slow down as much as I could. When you stop quickly on a bike, um, your wheels have the potential of locking and skidding through. So unlike cars, um, it takes a lot longer to brake. Okay. So I kept, I continued to skid and he was not stopping. Oh my God. So his, the front of his car took the front of my motorcycle wheel and by the time my body had actually made contact with the car my head had hit the passenger side of the car of the car wow and my head I remember my head bouncing back and at this point I blacked out so I knew I could feel what was happening but I couldn't see anything my eyes were open but everything was pitch black um so I landed on the ground face down, stomach down, and within a matter of seconds, before I knew it, the, the bike, uh, sorry, my, my my motorcycle hit the car, um, I don't know what it did behind me, but it landed on my back. Oh, man. So, for the record, the motorcycle is 300 pounds. <sighs> so, I couldn't, I could hardly breathe. Um, I had very short breaths, and it was like... <gasps> and you remember all this? I remember all of it. Oh, so, I remember it, I remember feeling it, I just couldn't see anything um so I felt it um and I wasn't sure if I was going to live because I couldn't breathe yeah but I still had short breaths and I felt so much pain in my chest 
that I knew I was still alive just because I could feel something. I can't imagine. And maybe about 10 seconds after being on the ground, you know, people were running over to me and they told me, open your eyes, um, look around. I started, my vision started to come back, but I couldn't process really what was where. I was a bit disoriented, but I could see things. And um, this pedestrian who came to my rescue called 911 beside me and they talked him through getting me um to stay as conscious as possible yeah. until the, stay awake. the paramedics came exactly so i did stay awake for the whole process it was just the most pain i've obviously ever felt wow. in my life but i couldn't feel anything in my body except for my chest um it was just so much pain mm-hmm. and it was really hard to breathe um and later on i found out that it was internal bleeding mm-hmm. from lacerated i think it was my large liver lacerations Um, And then obviously that bleeding, you know, spread into other areas of my torso. Wow. So yeah. So then I was admitted to St. Michael's Hospital for about a week. Same as me. Yeah. (laughs) That's why we connect. (laughs) And that was on May 31st, 2016. Okay. Um, So as I said earlier, we're about three years in. Mm -hmm. And recovery has been really tough. But I have to say that that first week at St. Michael's Hospital, I really didn't think I was going to make it alive. Um, neither did some of my doctors. And, you know, it was really scary when one student doctor, I can't remember if that's the right term, but they asked me to tell them how many fingers they were holding up. And I kept getting it wrong. Oh, so man. that really Panic scared me. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I was diagnosed with a concussion, um, various terms I cannot pronounce in my right <laughs> knee. Um, I fractured my calcaneus and my right big toe. Yeah. And to this day, I still can't move my, I can wiggle very slightly, but I can't bend my right, my two biggest right toes. Um, I can bend my knee, but I, when you touch the surface of my knee, I actually can't feel no it. No feeling, so nerve damage. Nerve damage, exactly. Yeah. And when I do my physio exercises, um, I don't notice it as much, but my physiotherapist always notices that my kneecap does, it just doesn't stay static in one place. It kind of shifts around. Oh, wow. Um, so there are a lot of things going on in there yeah. <laughs> that uh, we still need to figure out. But three years in, I'm, I'm walking. So That's I great. had to relearn how to walk, yeah. um, starting in the pool, similar to yourself, Lindsay. Yeah. Um, and then once I started walking on land, things kind of just started falling into place, but it was, it was a battle. It was a journey, but I think throughout the first couple of months, I was just happy to be alive. So any challenge that I faced, it was just a blessing for me to be able to experience those challenges. Yeah. Um, but my life has definitely changed. My perspective on everything has changed. Um, and now I think other than the physical injuries, I think my biggest battle right now is from a cognitive standpoint as well as psychological yes yes and the shock too when the doctor comes in and says you have all these things wrong with you and you right. look and it's like just like that yeah my life has changed exactly like how literally overnight <laughs> yeah like i woke up and my life has changed exactly so could you explain to us about your life prior to the accident and how it's changed sure so prior to the accident i loved my life Like, it's very rare that people can say that. Yeah. I just, I felt so um, full of life. Like, every single day, you know, I'm not 
the type I don't drink alcohol I don't smoke at yep. least not anymore but <laughs> I don't use some substances I don't drink coffee um I was just high on life all the time. That's awesome. I loved, That's a good way to be. Yeah, and I just, <laughs> and I think the reason for that is um, the activities that I kept myself busy with. I loved rock climbing. I was rock climbing about four or five days a week. Wow. Um, I was training in the gym for bodybuilding competitions, amateur of course, cool. but probably about two to three times a day. Oh, um, and then I, I had a full-time job at a bank, one of the top five banks in Canada. Cool. And... I'm trying to think what else I was doing. I did a lot. You got a lot on your plate. <laughs> I, for sure. I was doing a lot of like hiking. I yeah. was also in the middle of launching a new um, business similar to this one. Cool. Although that had to be put on hold because my perspective on that business was from a fitness perspective. Okay. And as a nutritionist, I am a certified um, fitness and health coach. So I had intentions to put all of those things into practice through my own business but a lot of that got put on hold because of the accident so okay yeah. wow yeah well hopefully we can make a good go of this yeah for sure <laughs> <laughs> how have your daily functioning changed on a daily basis versus what what you did before versus what you can do now kind of thing so I basically could not do anything now I can't do anything that I used to do before okay um I mean, there. I can walk, so yep. amen to that. Yes. But I can't go rock climbing because I can't bend my toes. Mm -hmm. So not only can I not bend my toes to have a grip on the wall while I'm climbing up, but I can't even put my rock climbing shoes on. So they have Ouch. they have this arch. It's a very weird arch. It's not comfortable to walk in, but you need it for rock climbing. I can't even get my foot past a certain area. Oh of man of the shoe itself. So every day I man manually move my toes back and forth with my fingers and I force it through the pain and it's excruciating, but I have to do it in order to, to push it. And I have spoken to um, an orthopedic surgeon and a plastic surgeon and they've both confirmed at St. Mike's that it's just, it's permanent damage. The only thing is. I can do is do more physio and yep. pray that it gets better, but and stay active. Exactly. That's, that's all I can do. Yeah. So I'm pushing through it, but I can't rock climb. I definitely can't squat, you know, yep. 200 pounds anymore. Me. Um, Not that I did that. <laughs> but you were probably in the gym. Like, uh, just nah, maybe not three times a day. My motivation for the gym was, oh my God, we're going on holidays in a month. I better get doing yeah. stuff. P90X. But see, whatever your motivation is, it got you there. It definitely <laughs> did. It got me to Mexico. Exactly. And the thing is now we can't do that nope. and and that was my life like that yeah. I was aspiring to to go pro one day and now um, I can't because of my age I actually can't even compete in the same tier so now I'm in a, oh, I'm really? categorized as a master so the the amount of individuals that I compete with um I don't have the same advantage as I did before so that's kind of taken away from me and the medals that I earned before my accident they, those have been revoked because if you're not competing wow. actively within a year's time frame from your last winning they actually take it away from you I mean I still have the physical medal but yeah. I no longer have the title oh, so man. I can't compete at the same level that I did back then and that to me was devastating 
um, for and also for the first two and a half years since the accident I wasn't even able to get on a motorcycle I was just mm-hmm. traumatized from anxiety and PTSD and all of that stuff and also I just didn't have faith that cognitively I could process yeah. how to operate the machine yeah. and how to respond to traffic um, so all that to say I lost everything that I absolutely loved which is um, so it's such a hard like thing to swallow exactly It was extremely difficult. And also going to work, I tried. So I went on disability twice because the first time was obvious from me going from the hospital to my home, but I still wasn't weight bearing. Oh, sorry. I was weight bearing, but I couldn't walk without any assistive devices. And um, I tried going back to work once I had a cane. So got rid of the crutches, got rid of the cast and... This is about four months after the accident. I'm, I can't remember the time frame exactly, but I then decided, okay, now that I'm on a cane, I can at least walk to work and mm-hmm. I can sit at my desk and continue with my graphic design and communications. And it was incredibly difficult. One, because I kept getting the times wrong for all my meetings. Um, you know, I'd have a meeting for one o'clock and show up at 10 a.m., and my boss was livid when I did not show up at 1 p.m. And I was wondering where everyone was at 10 a.m. Oh, no. But I couldn't process of the brain information. Injury. Exactly. Yeah. I couldn't process information the same. And I would kick myself for it. Uh. Because I'd argue with her and say, it says 1 o'clock on my screen. And she'll come to my desk and she'll be like, see this zero? Yeah. And I'm like, shoot. Oops. <laughs> like, I, I, honest to God, did not see that zero. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. I just didn't. And then there were also times when... I'd have to write something or design something and I just had no ideas. I Things weren't coming to me. So it would take me a lot longer to design something. So something that might take half an hour normally now took me two to three days. Yeah. So the delivery time and the need for the business to continue at its pace of urgency, I could no longer deliver. And it was really difficult. And yeah. my manager had to sit me down numerous times saying, you're going to need to find a job that matches your current pace Mm -hmm. because right now the business needs more and you know the business can only be so understanding but the business needs to move on at the end of the day so it was just me kicking myself over and over and I'm like I need to deliver I need to deliver but I couldn't and and eventually that turned into major depression it was just okay I can't do anything I love I I can't even deliver at work Mm -hmm. so that depression and you know turned into a bunch of other diagnoses like major depression and anxiety um I got pulled out of work again for the second time so I had to go back on disability had to start taking medication um, for the depression and then when I tried to go back to work the second time it was a little bit more successful because of the medication um but even better is that I actually found a different job within the bank that was able to accommodate my pace. Oh, that's good. And also my mandate was to cover gender diversity for the bank. Um and gender diversity is great because I get to cover certain topics as a woman, mm-hmm. but I also got to help the bank move the dial from all aspects of diversity. Cool. And because I was in the position of being I quote disabled Mm -hmm. it was really easy for me to understand and resonate with some of the demands that we needed to deliver very nice yeah that's awesome could you describe for us what your recovery 
process look like? I know you've said a little bit, but your timeline-ish. Yeah, so the first the first week since the accident, I was bedridden completely in the okay. hospital. When I was sent home, I remember being in bed for about another month um, just because I couldn't stand on yep. my own. Um, I had crutches and a cast, but I needed help getting around. So the first week back in my home, my mom and my brother took shifts. And then once insurance and, you know, lawyers and all that good stuff kicked in, um, I was able to get a PSW, which is a personal support worker. Yeah, I had one of those too. And I got to, they basically helped me move around in the house. Mm -hmm. They helped bathe me. Chores. Yeah, chores, um, you know, cooking, um, getting glasses of water and Things that you would normally do for yourself, I had to depend on someone else to do it for it's me. It's so hard. <laughs> oh, for sure. And it's even harder when you have different PSWs and different yes. people taking different shifts. And when you get someone new who has to bathe you or take you to the bathroom to do number two, and you don't have a relationship with them, it's really hard. It's yes. It's humbling, that's I for said sure. you learn you lose all your dignity, that's yes, for sure when you're at the you're hospital. Right. That's exactly what I was looking for. That's exactly what yeah. it's like. It's unfortunate, but um it it got me to where I am today. Exactly. I, I don't know how I'm here. <laughs> for but sure. I did it because of them. Yeah. What has been the biggest obstacle for you during your recovery? The biggest obstacle for me then and now, I would say, is um the psychological aspect. I, there's so many things that I need to accept and I still haven't, or I am in the process of doing, but it's pretty hard because in recovery, you achieve different phases, whether it's physically, mentally, cognitively. And the thing is, each time you accomplish something, you get really excited about going back to your old life. Yeah. But you never do. Yeah. That's just it. You actually do have a new life. And I keep forgetting that Um, I mean I'm thankful for the fact that I have a second chance at this life but I keep wanting to default into who I used to be I hear you yeah and that's just not possible it's so important to celebrate the small victories and I kept saying that you're right I stood up or I sat up Woo! Yes! Get me ice cream, Mom! <laughs> That's so true. Actually, you're right. Now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure I posted it on Instagram. The first day I was able to wiggle my toe, which was maybe about, I don't know, say a month in, um, wiggle my toe without my hands, that is, it was the most exciting yeah. thing because I never thought I could move my feet again. Exactly. And I did. Yeah. And, you know, I'm still working on it in <laughs> terms of, you know, the range that I can get my toe. For sure. But to move but it's it's not easy (laughs) no it's not but I I think for me the biggest thing was definitely from a psychological standpoint as I Mm -hmm. mentioned I was diagnosed with PTSD major depression anxiety and more recently bipolar um and I don't know how accurate that is and that's something that I'm still having a hard time accepting because I feel like bipolar should be something that should have been diagnosed way early on and it never has been and I have been seeing therapists for as long as I can remember just because um, um, my family had issues growing up so I had a social worker and this and that and it just um, it never it was never caught so I still to this day have a hard time accepting that and the medication that I'm taking for it I'm very resistant but I am taking it because I trust my doctors and my team of medical professionals so 
and it's working. I have to say that it is working. I yep. feel better. I'm a lot more productive. Good. Um, but I still have a lot of battles um, from a psychological perspective. For sure. Mm-hmm. Describe my rehab. Challenging. <laughs> um, oh, there's a word at the tip of my tongue. Challenging is definitely key. I'd have to also say... Oh, I don't remember. What were yours? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> During my rehab, like, it was a daily struggle. Yeah. And... Which I put under challenge. Yeah. Um, I thought... I can't find two other words. Like I find I for like... me, my one thing was like home. That was one thing that right. still resonates with me right. is that I had this thing of home in my mind. Right, you and just it wanted stood to out. get home. And I, now that I look back at it, I think home just represented my old life. Right, right. And for me, <laughs> it was the gym. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Because I kept thinking during. I think within the first day, being in the hospital in a neck brace, I was like, so can I squat with this tomorrow? <laughs> like, I just, all I wanted to do was get back to my old life. You're right. Yeah. Um, and it ne- wasn't necessarily going home for me. I honestly thought I could I could stay at the hospital and go to the, walk over to the gym and work oh, out. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, get me the hell out of here. Yeah. I, I, I think the difference between you and I is that I didn't have to stay at the hospital for as long. Yeah. So it was a little bit different. And I had my mom and my brother tell the doctors and the nurses that because they would be with me, that I'd have that support. Yes. Um, and they'd be able to, you know, mitigate my medication and all of that. Yes. So they let me out relatively quick. Um, so home, it was nice to be home, but it was also really really difficult Hard. and challenging because yes. I couldn't do anything and in you my probably home. were like me and you needed somebody with you 24 7 exactly I can't tell you how many times I had to hold in my pee overnight <laughs> because there was nobody to help me sit up mm-hmm. and go to the bathroom I or couldn't wake up crying and exactly yeah it was it was devastating mm-hmm. so unfortunately I don't have any positive words but <sighs> I'd say challenging and devastating might be two of the the key words when I think of rehab unfortunately yeah that's fair that's fair right <laughs> it's not easy no you said about your support system that mm-hmm. you had your mom and your brother yeah who else did you have and um, how do you think that they were impacted by this whole recovery and the accident? That's a good question. So my mom and my brother were there all day, every day for me, you know, because they were the ones who were able to take time off work to help me do things. Um, But my best friend, Leslin, and her husband, John, were the first ones at the hospital. And one of my really, really good friends, um, Mo, he helped, he came to the hospital, checked up on me, and then he went over to the accident scene to pick up the motorcycle and move it aside and deal with it however he needed to Mm -hmm. because I obviously couldn't do anything with it. It's not like a car. No, definitely (laughs) not like a car. So it's not like anyone can just get in there and move it, you know. So he he helped me with that um, and he checked in with me pretty much every single day for at least a year for as long as I can remember. And um, Leslin and John, they supported me from, you know, they were really busy and I didn't want them to up and 
move their lives and schedules around. I wanted them to continue with life. Yes. So as much as they could, they checked in on me, um, whether that was like via text or phone call yep. or visiting me. And every time they visited me, they brought me my favorite gummy bears and, and stuffed animals and all this stuff. Spoiled. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and my favorite would have been all my other friends and especially my colleagues including my vice president at the time wow you know my entire team at the bank they made a point to come together as a team and my boss um, who I reported directly to she came almost every day if not every other day wow. and she would talk to my family and she would make me laugh she was always uh. she's always hilarious and funny but she knew the right things to say at the right time that's important. and I couldn't believe how much she cared about me uh, and she she'll always have like a special yeah. place in my heart even though she's not my boss anymore but mm -hmm. um, she too every time she came she brought me all my favorite foods and if you haven't picked it up yet I am a huge foodie so <laughs> <laughs> I love food and that is the only way to win me over so. <laughs> um, and uh, soon enough a business partner of mine he had come to visit me in person for the first time probably about two months into the accident so it was at my home um i was still on crutches and a cast but he became my boyfriend who is oh, my wow. boyfriend today <laughs> so we were you know the attraction was immediate um, from a physical standpoint but because we had a little business relationship growing on the back end um, it was a lot easier to connect because we had already built that trust and with each other from a business perspective and also we had a lot of mutual friends so a lot of our friends confirmed that you know he was a good guy yeah. I was a good girl and <laughs> we didn't there wasn't much to worry about in terms of safety or security yeah. so we jumped the gun I guess and he became that support system and he still is that support That's system awesome. for me today but yeah so I'd say my really close family and friends and um just recently when you and I connected Lindsay, yeah. you became my support system because out of all Same those people me. who have been there for me you were the only one who knew exactly what it felt like yes. to be in my shoes yes and that was a special bond that I think nobody can really yes. replace and the fact that you remembered everything I can't like I mean right. to an advantage I feel like I have because I don't remember that right like, I only remember after the ICU is when, like, little trickles of memory are coming back. Right, but you can't remember the accident itself. No, like, yeah. I remember going out of the road, and then it's, like, two weeks of blank. And sometimes And that is I a wish... hard, hard pill to swallow, but sure. after hearing what you've told me over the past few months, I'm like, you know what? I am lucky that I don't remember. I mean... Yeah. It's because scary. you carry it with you. Yeah. Um, so sometimes I do wish I was scary. in your position. <laughs> but um, I guess everyone goes through their own journey in a different way for a reason. Definitely. But um, it's, it's nice to kind of hear different perspectives on it. But it in terms of the recovery and the rehabilitation, I kind of love that we do it together. Yes. It's nice. <laughs> it is. It is. After it. A hard physio of getting in trouble, calling, being like, oh my god, I got in trouble again! Exactly, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> Going back to your family and friends, how would you say that this impacted them overall? Oh, um, a lot. I, I have to admit, I think I've hurt a lot of them along the uh, way. No, not intentionally, yeah. just being frustrated with my entire <laughs> I get it. process. I... I hurt a lot of people. Not being the easiest to deal with. Exactly. 
I was really, really difficult to deal with. I had and have a lot of emotional ups and downs that I would have never experienced before the accident. And sometimes it gets the best of you and sometimes it gets the best of them because they don't know how to cope with it. Nobody's trained on how to deal with this. There's no self-help book on how to deal with people with accidents. There isn't. And that's what we're here for, right? Yeah. I, I, I want everyone to kind of talk about it from different perspectives and really just inspire each other to deal with things differently if you haven't thought of a different way Um, and nobody ever is prepared to deal with something like this Um, you and I were not prepared to get into an accident and learn how to recover we also weren't trained how to deal with our own support systems and our networks so I've made a lot of mistakes um, and I think I've heard a lot of them but I also think that having reconnected after all of those negative instances has brought us closer as well yeah well and it takes a lot for you to admit that too I'm sure for sure and I think for them too you know just getting together after a a huge blow up let's just say yeah talking about it talking through it and then coming to a resolution and next steps like what do we do next or what if this happens again and that's what really brings us closer together Mm -hmm. yeah a lot of relationships change right it does For sure. For sure. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Yours was a big one. (laughs) I mean, seven years and then it's done. That was a a lot. It's hard. How has your opinion changed about the healthcare system or the rehabilitation process? Were you like me and had no idea that this even existed? (laughs) Yes. I'll be honest with you. You know when you get a new car and you sign the insurance papers? I've never read the insurance papers no all I all I read is how much I'm paying yes. <laughs> or if they're trying to upsell you again exactly on the exactly and I never read it it didn't matter to me because I always thought I always felt invincible yeah and I think we covered that <laughs> we in one of our did. other episodes yeah. but I felt invincible I said you know I drive carefully I ride carefully nothing has ever happened to me in the car and I've been driving for god 20 years maybe and nothing's happened to me Nothing will happen to me. Yes, yes. But then it does. Yeah. And you're like, shit, what do I do next? And on a motorcycle. Exactly. Too. Like, oh my goodness. So, Leslin, um, she actually did a lot of that paperwork and a lot of the digging. She took care of that on the back end while I was at the hospital. And then eventually when I was able to process certain things, she would explain it to me as well as my employer. Um, You know, HR would explain the process to me. So, it was a lot of learning but I regret not having put effort into learning that before the accident because at a time when you're not cognitively fit, it's really it's difficult, difficult. Yeah. to understand what you need to do now Definitely. or next. So um, it was hard. And my yeah, so one thing is I didn't know it existed, similar to yourself. Yep. But I also thought and think now that it's extremely unfair the processes and the systems that we have in place yes because after everything that you go go through in an accident the pain the suffering and i'm talking like suffering is an understatement yes (laughs) but everything after everything that you go through you still need to sign a billion documents 
meet with a billion different doctors. New faces constantly coming in. Interviewing you. Yeah. And then you're constantly justifying what hurts. Yeah. Or students uh, coming in too. Exactly. <laughs> and it's the most grueling process when all you want to do is just get better. Mm-hmm. Being and picked and prodded. Exactly. Exactly. And you really, you lose all your pride. I know I did. I did too. As soon as I got to the hospital, you know, my, all of my clothes were cut off my body and ripped off my body because, you know, pulling it off, pulling clothes off, my shirt off could hurt me or could do further damage. So they had to cut everything off and you're always naked in this ugly (laughs) gown. And there's just so much that you don't realize. (laughs) There is. Or having to wear, I had to wear like clothes that were four times larger than I normally was just to fit over the cast. Exactly. (laughs) And there's nothing you can do about it. You got to do what it takes to to get there. But um, I'd say in terms of the system, it's ridiculous. The amount of work that they put you through knowing that you're already going through so much. And I understand that it's because a lot of people have taken advantage of the systems and a lot of the benefits through insurance, which is probably why our premium is so high and we get nothing in return, but it has made my life a lot harder. If I didn't have the process, yeah, Yeah. I think I would have recovered a lot easier if someone just trusted that, okay, she's hurt, here's the amount of therapy that she needs, and this is what you need to do to recover, and here's how much money you're going to need for that. Um, Life would have been so much easier, but I had to fight for it. Yeah, it, it was a huge fight and I'm still fighting for it. I still get declined for certain things and it's yeah. really tough because I know that I need it. My doctors yeah. know that I need it, but you've got to prove it. And why am I trying to prove yeah. anything when clearly I'm not yeah. able? You're not your old normal self. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Well, this is something too that we said prior that we wanted to do, but I was deemed catastrophic. Right. So what that means is that you're given a certain amount from the insurance company. Right. And I'm also given a case manager who, for me, she got my whole team, my outpatient rehab team for me, right? So I didn't have to worry about that. I mean, I was extremely fortunate. Right. But in your case, you were deemed non-catastrophic. Right. And so that's a whole other ballgame. Right. Right? Where you don't have a case manager and at that point... A family or a friend, like you said, has to take over and has to do this, or else you would have to. Which exactly. That was the last thing on your mind, I'm sure, of right? Of course. So there's a lot of differences with all this that we have to definitely dive into at some for point. For sure. For sure. Because it's very interesting. And for non-catastrophic, I only, I, I believe, I had a limit of fifty thousand dollars. Wow. On medical expenses, which is just insane. It's not enough. No. So I went. I I used to do therapy different types of therapy whether it's neuropsychological psychologicals physiotherapy all these different types of therapy every single day and now I can only afford to do one a week at the very least because or sorry at the most because I just don't have enough funds to cover it Mm -hmm. and it the accident wasn't even my fault so I struggle right I struggle a lot with that because it wasn't my fault why am I why Still you paying for this pay three for years later. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this has really, I guess, affected your mental health. Can you describe how? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I'll try to keep this part as brief as possible, but I'd say my mental health was the biggest 
challenge I've faced since the accident because I thought that I thought that I was fine because I remembered everything my memory was there for the most part um, but I was when I went back to work I couldn't even do simple things like ask someone for a glass of water Wow. I remember, so my PSW would actually come to work with me on some days. Oh, man. And um, sometimes I was at a loss for words, and I could not articulate for the life of me that I needed a glass of water. So I had to action, you know, bring like raising my hands charades. and pretend. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what it was like. It was like charades because I couldn't say what I was thinking in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really hard and depressing. So... I had to fight the cognitive and the psychological at the same time, which was really hard. And then I had to keep justifying to my employer that I'm determined and yeah. I'm willing to work, yeah. but I couldn't deliver. Mm-hmm. And that inability to deliver, knowing that I was such a top performer back then, Prior. Yeah. before the accident, was really hard because, you know, they don't understand why a limp, why a visible limp, is causing issues in the way I perform. Mm -hmm. How does that impact your ability to communicate or design graphics? Well, it doesn't, but there are so many other things that are going on in your head that you can't see. Yeah. Yeah. And chronic fatigue was another thing. I don't think I was formally diagnosed with that. I don't even know yet, but it was real and it still is. Yeah. Um, I still take medication for that to this day because I can't stay awake for more than 12 hours straight. Um, so I have to take naps almost every three to four hours. And it got to a point when I was in the office where I would actually go to the bathroom and close my eyes for 10 minutes in a stall. Oh, it was just, I could not keep up with work and life's demands. Mm -hmm. Um, so all of that beat me up hard and I took it really hard on myself psychologically and one day you know I tried to get back into social activities you know going out for dinner with my friends or even just talking on the phone Mm -hmm. or taking a little walk on the beach even in my crutches Mm -hmm. but I would try to get out there and I didn't enjoy it anymore and things started to seem really dull and depressing your new norm Exactly. My new norm was extremely depressing because I was an adrenaline junkie and to Mm. now have to simply walk outside as my big woohoo activity, (laughs) it was really depressing. So I, I really went into a very dark place. Um, to a point where I was just crying all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And I would cr- I would cry myself to sleep because yeah. I hated my life so much. I and I it. didn't feel, as much as my support system tried to be there for me. You feel like no, a burden. I felt like a burden and I felt alone. Mm-hmm. I've never felt so alone because nobody understood what I was actually going through. And it's unfortunate that we didn't meet at that time because yes. that would have been a different story. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I felt really alone because no one understood the pain no one understood what was going on in my head so it got to a point where I was crying every night and maybe two or three months after um, I locked myself in the bathroom because I was crying so so hard I had just come back to uh, from a birthday party a friend's birthday party with my boyfriend we got home I locked myself in the bathroom and I cried for about two hours straight staring in the mirror And all I could see was how hurt and depressed I was. And in that moment, I closed my eyes, hoping that everything would just go away and the negative feelings would go away. It's all just a bad dream. That's what I wanted to (laughs) think. That's what I wished. (laughs) But 
without me consciously thinking of this, I actually had flashbacks of the accident. Oh, man. And then I had flashbacks of me jumping off of a balcony to end it all. Oh, wow. And that was the worst feeling in the world. I've never been so scared of myself. Wow. And when you go through those types of feelings and thoughts you worry about what's going to happen next. Yes. So, Or even telling people. Because, or telling people, exactly. Yes. They, they think you're suicidal and yes. you're crazy. But you're going to have to go back to the hospital. Exactly. And eventually I did have to go back to the hospital and I, I had to get medication because, you know, we didn't know what was going but, on with my yeah. brain and my thoughts because yeah. I was not sitting there one day, you know, thinking, oh, I don't like my life. Maybe I should kill myself. I would yeah. never do that. No. It was uncontrollable the yeah. thoughts and the oh, flashbacks I can relate. and it's not fair it's not and you there's nothing you can do about it until you take medication which is true during your or during my recovery <laughs> we talked about this in mine i definitely struggled with the word disability that kept hmm. coming up yes the hospital when i got home you have disability and you have just dis- blah 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 so what are your thoughts about the about the stigma around the word disability. Oh, okay. Well, first and foremost, I hated the fact that I had to keep justifying yes. to other people what my limitations were. And then when you tell them what your limitations were, they'd say, "Oh, so you're they'd give you a title or a name for your disability." Yes. And then they say, if you can't do this, then you shouldn't be doing this job. Yeah. And that was demoralizing mm-hmm. for me in a business defeating. environment. It's defeat. Yes, thank you. That's the word that I was looking for. It's, it is defeating. So basically, I was told that I needed to find a job that meets my current cognitive level. And who knows what that could have been like I I don't even know what they were trying to imply at that that time but maybe it was something as simple as taking pizza orders I don't know I don't even know if I could handle that to be honest yeah um because having to understand other people and articulate you know different pizza toppings I don't know that I could actually do that yeah so going through the process um was very challenging. I never had an issue with the word disability. My issue was what people think of you when you have it. And also being on the subway with a cane at such a young age, people literally judge you and they think you're faking it. Yes. All the time. Yes. And I got pulled over for having an accessible parking pass once. I got a lot of looks and a lot of stares and a lot of old women yelling (laughs) about how I should not cheat the system and I should return that accessible pass to its rightful owner. Uh Even when they saw that I had a knee brace and crutches and whatnot. Doesn't matter. And they didn't care. No. I was young. They didn't care. Yep. And that's all they see is that exactly. you're young and you shouldn't, this shouldn't, this isn't the norm. Exactly. And I have another question I have is downtown when you were recovering, yeah. I feel like for me, downtown, the acceptance was a little bit more downtown Toronto. Oh yeah. Whereas then when I went home to Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, where right. it was so much smaller, right. I'd go out anywhere with a cane, a walker, crutches, wheelchair. I mean, I had it all. Mm-hmm. And in Kitchener-Waterloo, I was just stared at like, 
oh my god what right. like whereas toronto it was a little bit more accepting did right. you would you agree i think it was hard for me i didn't experience that just because i lived and okay. worked in toronto True. so i don't actually know what it was like outside of toronto but even in the city in the downtown core people looked at me yes um yes. you know and a lot of people would say oh what's wrong or but for me most people would think that i was faking it and that was the hardest thing because that was random people judging me and telling yes. me that you are breaking the rules you're ruining the system you're the reason yes. you know people have higher premium rates little do yeah. they know the, what you the struggle through. i'm actually going exactly. through and that was it's hard and it's not even something that i want anyone to ever experience no. but people just have this perception mm-hmm. of young people um taking advantage and that wasn't me but people thought it was and it was really hard to to accept that it is or or not care yeah about what they thought for sure so looking back at everything your your whole recovery here yeah what would you say um makes up a successful survivor like what are three different characteristics i guess you could say hmm I'd say perseverance, positive positivity, mm-hmm. um, which is easier said than done. It is, and I don't think it necessarily means sitting there and thinking about sunshine and flowers. Not that type of positivity, <laughs> but focusing on the little wins. Yep. Just like you said earlier. Yep. Um, instead of focusing on all of the things that are wrong with you, because that could take up a whole page if you were to type it out. Um, I focused on the things that I could do, yes. such as wiggling my toe. Yep. Another thing was when my my knee was, there was like a big dip in my knee. Okay. Um, it was scraped by the, the concrete. And as that scar got smaller and smaller, it became hard and eventually came off. And I used to pick at my scabs. Oh man, and you're when braver that... than me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gross like that. But <laughs> once I actually got that scab off, it was like another win for me. In oh. that I knew my skin was healing. I know it sounds gross, but <laughs> but that was a win for me. Okay. Um, being able to walk again was another win. Being able to ask for a glass of water when I was thirsty was a win. So really focusing on those little positive things because um, if you don't, you're in for a very, very, very steep drop. Accepting the help. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, And I guess the other thing is being dedicated to your recovery and being dedicated to your health and being dedicated to the process the pro yeah exactly because here's the thing you are forced in so many ways primarily by the system yeah um you know they want you out of the hospital bed they don't (laughs) want to pay your insurance doesn't want to pay your bills no so they they make you wait for what you're entitled to whether that's some kind of treatment or some kind of cash to pay xyz um they take really long and most people give up 
Mm-hmm. I just, I know I didn't have the energy to do it. Fortunately, I had a support system who kind of backed me up and did it for me or helped me through the process to read through a bunch of forms. But you need to be dedicated if you want to see results. And I'm talking from an administrative standpoint, physically, mm-hmm. psychologically, you need to keep at it. It's been three years. It's been, like I said earlier, a grueling process. A roller coaster ride. Yep. Lots of ups, but way more downs. <laughs> and um, I, you know, we're here today. We are. And we're getting through it. And the journey's not over, but we've come so far. We have. And we have to be so proud of ourselves. And I keep, like, I don't think that we give ourselves enough credit. Definitely not. And I don't want to toot our own horns here either because that's <laughs> not what I like to do. But you also have to, I feel like you have to step back and go, you know what? Look wow. how far we Yeah. Are. Yeah, I would agree. And what I like about, you know, sometimes we don't want to toot our own horns, but sometimes I can do that for you. And sometimes yeah, exactly. you do that do for it me. For one another. <laughs> exactly. And when we do that, like, I know we do that pretty often through WhatsApp, you know, <laughs> and I actually find it really encouraging. It's yeah, like, me too. Oh, yeah. I forgot She's right. to recognize this, but yes. Exactly. <laughs> so thank you for yeah, being that support you. for me. <laughs> Awesome. I'm so glad we got to do this. For sure. Now we have our story out there and we have your story out there. And now we want to hear other people's stories. Yes. So if you have an inspirational story or even if you're in the middle of your recovery process. Talk to us. Yeah. Talk to us. We want to hear it. We'd love to be able to share it as a survivor or caregiver out there or even a healthcare practitioner. Uh, We want to hear it. So you can... Go on to our social media. Yeah. It's at and then it hit us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can also visit our website, www.andthenithitus.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks so much. Have a great day.